this is going to be a good one. Looking forward to this. All right, so welcome to Something to Drink About. My name is Alex Van Amberg. I'm a certified sommelier with the Quartermaster Sommeliers and a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. And I'm Christy Collins. I am a yoga teacher and a mom of three and a hater of Marvel movies. <laughs> That's not going well for you, is it? So no. um, just so everyone knows, Christy has volunteered to watch every Marvel movie in the sequence one at a time with her three sons so she can understand what the heck they're talking and about. And they're super stressful. Right. They're too loud. They're like a, a total sensory overload. They make me angry. They're, they're, there's too much of everything. Too much sound. Too much action. Too, too, too much. Not enough Downton Abbey. Not enough Downton Abbey. <laughs> Not nearly enough. So anyway, I'm coming off of Rocket Man 3 or whatever it's called. Iron Man 3. Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Elton John did not do a song about this guy. <laughs> nice try, though. Uh, so um, so anyway. So- and I thought my heart just went, leapt into my throat when Pepper Potts fell to her death. But then she wasn't dead. Well, the, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Okay, go ahead. What were you going to say? Carry on. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Stark, but I'm afraid I have gonorrhea and I'm going to die horribly. (laughs) But prettily, over the next seven to eight months, perhaps you would care to stay by my bedside and read poetry to me. I need a little bit of claret. Yeah, I don't think that would sell as well. (laughs) Let's talk about Mr. Darcy behind his back. But not marry him. Darcy. (laughs) So anyway, if you've never listened to something to drink about, um, what's wrong with you? I mean, honestly, we're amazing. Oh, right? I thought you were asking what's wrong with me. I'm like, nothing. I just told you what's wrong with me. I'm having a panic attack from Rocket Man 3. Iron Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm a, I'm a Marvel aficionado from birth, more or less. And so, I, you know, if you call it by the wrong name, it's deeply affecting me. And I'm trying hard to get over that <laughs> because you can't do that. So, anyway. So, um, so Psalm thing to drink about. The entire point of this is that I'm a Psalm. I know something about wine. Christy is a yoga mom. She knows very little about wine. And we want to take the fear out of it. We want to make fun, wine, wine. We want to have for fear right there. Kind of. <laughs> <clears throat> mm-hmm. We didn't do our elocution exercises before we started. No. Okay, anyway, we want to make wine fun. That's entirely the point, is to take the fear factor out of it, to make it less intimidating and make it more enjoyable. So the way we do that is we just go through a wine together. Christy takes it apart. We look at it. We talk about it. We figure out the clues that are in there. And then I give the reveal of what the wine is. And we talk a little bit about how it got the way it is. Yeah, and we throw in a few little things here and there as well. Yeah, like Marvel movies. Yeah. So I read a great quote by Jancis Robinson, who's this amazing wine writer from England, one of the first females to become a master of wine um, from outside the industry um, Mm -hmm. and really a groundbreaker in a lot of ways. And she said, first and foremost, wine is not meant to be taken seriously. Mm. That's awesome. She's made a 30-year career out of this stuff, and she she still hasn't forgotten that it's supposed to be fun. So I, I really appreciated that. That quote really resonated with me when I read it. So there we are. There we are. And here we are. Mm-hmm. So a question that occurred to me is a lot of people don't actually, the word sommelier is becoming more and more popular lately, but a lot of people don't know what it means. And so I was actually reflecting on that, on what sommelier is. I don't know that we've ever broken that down, have we? No, I've never asked that question. Do you think it's interesting or should we just skip past it? Well, now that you've brought it up, we kind of need to just skip past it. Totally no. understand. Yeah. All right. So on okay, to the talk to you later. <laughs> Great podcast. Moving on. See ya. So, um, well, the reason I brought it up is because sommelier is... Wait, wait, wait. Mm. Alex? Yes. You know what I've never thought of? 
So many things. Like, I don't <laughs> know. I, I've got a book I keep, actually, about the things that you have. I don't know. I know what your name is, but I don't know what it means. What does sommelier mean? Well, Alex sommelier. is actually the name of a Frankish king. And... <laughs> hmm. 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 So a sommelier um, is uh, is actually it's the word is descended from a, a French tradition. It used to be that that royal courts during the the um, European feudal period, European courts would move um, depending on the season from place to place. So they'd have a winter court, a summer court, and when they were doing that, they had to transport all their stuff with them, including all their food and beverage. Right? <laughs> yes. You're yawning. I'm just try to grab that yawn, <sighs> not because you're boring. Sorry, mm-hmm. I am listening. They used to move their court around. You can't look at me because then I'm going to laugh. Just tell your story. <laughs> so the entire point is that a sommelier actually was it. The word doesn't actually translate to anything like a lot of French words like chevalier translates to knight. And, you know, there's lots of words that actually translate to mean something in French to English. However, the word sommelier does not have a direct translation. The closest they ever came up with was mule driver. And they finally traced the job back. It used to be when the royal courts would move from place to place throughout France. There was someone in charge of all the king's goods. All the king and queen's goods, right? And the person, the mule driver who was in charge of the king's personal goods was in charge of securing his wine as well. And so as the job grew and as the court became more staid, the the name of sommelier actually came to mean the person in charge of the king's food and beverage and eventually just the king's beverage. So they borrowed that word in French restaurants for someone who managed the wine program. That's a great idea. It's got so much history and it's got a story behind it. Like you just stand right up, sorry. <laughs> you did really good while I was yawning and making faces at you. <laughs> so a sommelier currently now, what it actually means and what it translates to in reality is someone who's supposed to be of service. Now, in a restaurant, that position is usually someone who manages the wine program, is the lead of the wine service, and manages that aspect of the restaurant. But they're not supposed to just stand around and wait for someone to order a bottle of wine. Their job is also to integrate themselves with the staff to become they should be able to do every job in the restaurant they should be able to to budget and manage the wine program they should be able to manage and serve all beverages not just wine but cocktails spirits beers um coffees that's all very important and ultimately they're a captain of service in a restaurant they're someone who upholds the highest standards of service in the restaurant so a sommelier and a certified sommelier is someone who's gone through training gone through certification that they actually you know have taken this seriously enough to merit Lots and lots of study. A title on a pin, I guess. And a lot of study. <laughs> well, and it, it's, you know, it's dedicated to humility to put yourself at service of other people. So anyway, so that's what a sommelier like is. That. Dedicated. Next time I need you to clean the toilet, I'm going to say it's dedicated humility, babe. In the service babe. of others. Babe. I'm going to unplug your microphone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's get to it. I've got this glass of wine in front of me. I haven't even. Right. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, so. Did we do the wine ting? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we have not done the wine ting. You haven't picked up your glass of wine at all. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do the ting. Okay. Let's do the ting. A little reset. Very nice. <laughs> so as we discuss almost every episode, there's five S's to evaluate a wine. You, you see it. You sip it. You, sorry. You see it. You sniff it. And every time I get it wrong. So, as we discussed in every podcast, there's five S's to evaluate a wine. First, you see it, then you sniff it, then you sip it, then you savor it, then you spit or swallow. And so, that's... And sometimes a... you slurk it somewhere in between there. Yeah, it's part of the savoring process. Oh, yeah. It's really, really kind of, you know... I'm going to slurk tonight. It's an offsetting. 
when so off putting when someone does it. Well, there's a reason for that though because it actually when you have you ever tried tasting something with your nose plugged up like when you had a cold. Your tongue, yeah. your tongue only gets texture for the most part, and some very broad strokes of what flavor it is. It's all about the senses. There's a postage stamp, little sized organ in the back of your nose that smells everything, and that's where you get all of your flavor from. And it goes, and when you when you slurk it, when you wash your mouth with wine by slurking it, it actually shoots up the back of your throat and actually hits that little postage stamp sensory organ there, and actually <laughs> gives you all those flavors. Which is why when your nose is stuffed and you're trying to eat food, you can't tell the difference between cheddar cheese and chocolate. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating. So so there's a purpose to the slurking. Okay. So anyway, so we have a wine in our glass. What colors, what do we got, Christy? Let's talk. Okay, I'm putting the white paper up because against your black desk, it looks really dark, mm-hmm. but it still looks dark. It looks darker even at the meniscus. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really dark. Uh, I don't know. It's dark purple like grape juice okay this is a very dark wine um it, it is not um it, it, it's it's i'd say it's a it's a dark ruby uh it's not i'm not seeing blue tones to it i'm just seeing red tones and a lot of them yeah so do you see any blue like towards the edge and in, in the meniscus no that, that would make it go purpley uh no okay so not purple then probably because okay. it's missing those blue notes so but definitely very red definitely very very you know carmen ruby so yeah deep ruby i would deep, say dark ruby and very uh, but um ruby clear in the dark you know i'm not seeing ruby in the dark ruby in the dark remember that movie that jack made the diamond in the cave <laughs> yeah that's what that reminds me of he was what four what, eight, eight years old he was eight years old was and eight. he made a movie about recycling stuff and it was called the diamond in the yeah yeah it was so good it was cute so anyway so we have a dark ruby wine in our glass um and it is um uh, it's not leaving very thick legs on the side, so it's moving actually fairly quickly, but it's got... Mine is slow legs. It's got a good medium viscosity to it, I would say. What do you think? I don't know. Well, I did have slow legs. Yeah, no, but it's not, not syrupy. The legs no, aren't moving like syrupy. syrup. They're, you know, they're... But they're not medium. They're not quick and light either. So right. they're, you know, It's pretty. Good medium. Medium mid-range. All right. Well, let's move on to smelling. What do you smell? Oh, strong. Lots of things. Strong, lots of things. Lots of esters mm, flying up it's there. Potenty, right? Mm-hmm. Esther's like duplicated herself. She's cloned herself millions of times because this is a really effervescent wine. Effervescent usually refers to bubbles. It does. Yeah. So that was the wrong word. Okay, it's a good um, word though. It just it, it because we're doing a, a, a an auditory thing as opposed to a visual thing, they can't see that, which is why I'm correcting you. There is no wrong words because if effervescent is what you make you think of because it's bubbly or sparkly in your nose. Yeah, but it's, it's not, not actually... bubbly or sparkly, but it does. It feels like it's crawling up my nose and giving me a little wallop in that postage <laughs> stamp size. In that postage stamp <laughs> organ thingy. So in yeah, no, there is an intensity of smell to this wine. Um, what, what are some individual things that you're smelling in the wine? Pepper. Okay. Are you smelling any fruits? No. Okay. I, I'm good with pepper. Right. Well, and, and, and what kind of pepper? Because I don't know what else. Green pepper, black pepper, white pepper, black orange pepper, pepper, yellow pepper. Fresh ground pepper, like fresh pepper or old pepper, stale pepper. Old, like, I mean new, not old. Like fresh cracked new, pepper? New, like at a really good restaurant. Okay. Good. 
Um, for me, there's dried fruit on the nose, and I don't know if you're getting that. It's like it's not extremely. Well, when you say it, I always get it. Well, not always. If I was to say it had bright red raspberries on it, you would get mad at me. If I said they had green raspberries, <laughs> you'd get even more mad. So, so what we're I'm 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 smelling dried fruits on there, and then I think behind it there's a floral note. There's like um like a crushed violet. Um, are you getting? A, no, I don't smell that. I don't know what smell it. What violet smell like actually? Okay. Do you know like? Can you think of like a purple flower smell? Lavender. Okay, not lavender. But I'm with you. Um, when I was um, when I was a kid, uh, my sister had a Barbie uh, a Barbie makeup station, mm-hmm. and it was a perfume maker, and it had these perfume wands, and you put them in the perfume maker, and you added water, and then you you spun the crank, and it, it mixed up the perfume wand with the water, and it made Barbie perfume. Wow! And some of those, the I remember there was a purple flower perfume that was really intense, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized it was a violet smell. They were oh, going okay. For. So that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about some strong associations from your childhood. Because yeah, who do not you think good ones, right? Wearing most of that perfume. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so I'm I'm getting kind of a, an older crushed violet from this, which is interesting because it's not fresh, it's not young, it's it's an older dried violet smell. So I think it's really interesting. There's lots going on with the nose. Um, a bit of herbaceousness to it as well. Yeah, um, I smell the herbs. And um, okay, so let's try tasting it. Okay. I can't look at you. And I don't, I can't slurk. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Whoa, it's so dry. Wow. It's like really dry sponge mm. on my tongue, right? We just had that conversation last night. I would say it's more of a medium dry. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, Ooh. because it, my cheeks didn't pucker up. I mean, my tongue got dried out a little bit, but my cheeks didn't dry out. So okay, I didn't. You know, my cheeks didn't pucker, and either. I'm not getting a high acidity either because I didn't like flush with with out with a. I didn't gleek, to borrow your word. Nope. And it's not that warm. Do you feel warmth? Mm-mm. But it's kind of fresh. It's juicier than it smells. Okay. Tastes juicier than it smells. Well, particularly since we're getting like flowers and dried fruits and 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 stuff the, the, on the palate. Though you're absolutely right, it is more. There's more fruit on the palate. Right. Have you ever had a raisin where you soaked the raisin in water and then ate it? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. love them. It's the only way I like raisins. I don't taste raisin. Okay, there is an aftertaste of raisin. I was gonna say I don't taste raisin, but then it's at the back of your tongue after you swallow. Mm-hmm. I taste that ra- the raisiny taste. Yes. Yeah, when it first comes across, there's um. I mean, and the thing is, this wine is it's it's juicy, but it's almost savory too. You know, it, it's it's because it's not really bright fresh fruits. Because no, bit... it's not fresh fruits. Absolutely. So there's 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 sort of almost um they're they're stewed fruits, dried fruits. Mm, definitely. Um, they're darker fruits. So they're they're a little like bit stewed plums. Plummy. I, I was going to say that. plummy. That's perfect. Yeah. And then you know that 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 soaked raisin. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. resuscitated raisin characteristic to it as well. There's spice on it. Not a lot of spice, but a little dryness, a little, um, little cinnamon dryness on the end there. This is a fun wine. I like this wine. I like it too. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now what? Okay. Well, I mean, how would you, okay. So having tasted this wine, having <laughs> tried this sorry. wine, you've looked at it, you've sipped it, you taste it, you've, you've savored it. All right. Well, actually I want to do something different because I want to, instead of guessing the wine, I want you to try a little cheese and then try the wine again. Okay. Or maybe some sausage or whatever like that. So, you know, 
Because the thing about a lot of wines is that we forget about the food pairing aspect of it. We forget that a lot of wines are meant to go with food. That's the entire point. Well, without... I don't even know. It's so good, I don't even know what to say. Is it better? Is it worse? Is it different? It's so much better. With the fatty cheese and mm-hmm. the wine, the wine is so much better. When you take the bite of cheese and then you take a sip of wine after you chew the cheese, it's strange that your tongue doesn't get dried out the same way as it did before. Suddenly, Mm-mm. suddenly because what's happening with those tannins and those structures is they're undoing the protein strands in your saliva. Suddenly, instead of attacking your saliva, it's attacking the cheese in your mouth. And so it's unwinding the cheese and opening the cheese up in an usual, unusual way. Is, oh, so it really does change the flavor of the cheese. Mm-hmm. My God, it's so good. I can't stand it. it. It's amazing how well they go together suddenly. Now, try a little bit of the salami, too, because we have a dried salami here as well. And that'll be, I think that'll be interesting as well, because a lot of times what happens is, is this salami is fairly salty. And this wine, I think it's going to open up the acidity in the wine. That's my, that's my speculation. Okay. And I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. I don't really know what you mean by open up the acidity. It still tastes really good. It's not. Hmm. Well, it kind of meets the acidity. The salt meets the acid and it softens it. It softens them both. So instead of the salami being extremely salty now, and instead of the wine being, you know, uh, being sharp, suddenly they both get softened because the way they both meet together. And suddenly the fruit elements leap up more. I do get the, um, it's more mellow. Mm Mm-hmm. They kind of cancel each other out in a way. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, really interesting. It's really good. Everyone should do this. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that that, that process is something I'll call attention to. First, you taste the wine without food, and you evaluate it, and you're kind of like, okay, this is okay. And then you try it with food, and then you try separate elements, and you you see what the response is. You see what happens. Mm. Really interesting. Um, Do you have any guesses about what this wine is? Really none at all. Okay. Old world, new world. Do you want to try to go for a hemisphere? Okay, I'm going to say old world. Okay, why? Because it's not like the California wines that I like or that I used to like. Okay, well, what's the difference? What I mean, because you say you like something and then you say it's not like that. So what's... Well, I mean, what... Okay, this is where I get nervous. Okay, well, don't be nervous. I mean, you know, there are no wrong answers, and I have an edit feature here, so if you go completely off the rails and look stupid, I'll cut it. Okay, great. So, I, I guess it... i cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I have earphones on. You think I know that when my <coughs> ear itches. Okay. Um, because this is something that I would not have liked in my past, because it's... It's brighter and more tart and acidic, and it has less tannins and less of that. Is it called Super Grape? Mega Purple? Mega Purple. Whatever. Same thing. It's It doesn't have that extra punch of deep, dark tannins. Okay. So I would have discounted it. Because I was so used to getting that punch of earthy flavor. Would you say this wine was softer or more subtle than what you used to drink? Um, it's no. It's definitely more flavorful. 
it has more elements to it. Um, it's more dimensional mm-hmm. and it has, um, it's brighter and it has less of a floor. I don't know how to describe that. Okay. But... That's all very interesting because okay. a lot of times, like a lot of new world wines, they tend to be, um, dynamic. They tend to be really extreme in, in an idea that occurred to me the other day was that when you're trying to imitate an old piece of art or an, or an original piece of art, a masterpiece, and you don't have the skills to really imitate a masterpiece exactly to duplicate that exactly, you tend to emphasize the things that really stand out to you, the bright colors, the, the shapes, you tend to do extremes on the things that you can actually manage. And therefore you make a caricature of this original piece of art that emphasizes the things that you see mm-hmm. rather than the, the complete piece of work. And it takes a long time to reach a level where you master enough where you can actually recreate a piece of art that is not only similar to that original piece that you admired so much, but has your own touches to it and yet carries that much of that subtlety, that depth, and that that um, that, that layers, if you will, right, of art. Layers. And in a lot of ways, wine is like that. A lot of new world winemakers are working with new materials and they're trying to create these old world wines that they, they love so much, but they don't either have the skill set, they don't have the tools, they don't have the paintbrushes and the paints, if you will, to create that. So the wines they make in the new world tend to be emphatic. They tend to be very bold in very specific areas because they're, they're aping the things they love, but they're really over emphasizing things and the wine's kind of unbalanced that way it's really over it's extreme right plus new world wines tend to really be made um simply to drink by themselves they forget in the new world in a lot of cases that wine is always meant to go with food whereas in the old world they've never forgotten oh because yeah almost absolutely in america we tend to like our pleasures separate we tend to want to eat a big meal and then we want to take and drink a lot but we like to keep them separate we don't tend to do them together which is interesting well there's something so gorgeous about Sitting down to a meal, I remember when I was in Los Angeles and I worked for that French restaurant and they took us to, gosh, Musso and Frank's. They took us somewhere where it was like this nine course, maybe it wasn't Musso and Frank's. It was this nine course meal and it was different wines with each course and each course was very small and the whole point of being there, I was so overbooked in Los Angeles that I was like, I'll go for dinner and then I'll leave and I'll go to rehearsal. And, um, and here's these nine courses. It takes four hours. And I stayed for two hours thinking that would be plenty of time. And I realized in the middle of it, this would be so rude to leave. So I ended up being late to rehearsal, which was not fun either. But on the other hand, it was the first time that I remember sitting down and eating small bites of food with wine and nobody explained it like you would explain it to me, but it was so much fun. And all these people that I worked with and, um, we just had this great, fabulous time. And I felt like I really learned about food Mm -hmm. and I really learned about service too. Their service was phenomenal. Okay. Well, and, and what that really emphasizes is that we don't take time. In the U.S. that way. The fact is we all plan to do, you know, we expect our meals quickly. We expect them to eat them quickly and then we move on. We've got things to do, even if we don't. Mm -hmm. We think we do. So in a lot of cases, the old world still has a a style uh, that food and wine are meant to be enjoyed together. um, And um, and, and that, that breaks are meant to be taken during the day and that life is meant to be lived in the little moments as opposed to in the future. So as Americans, I think, I mean, I'm getting philosophical at this point, but getting back to the point... This wine is definitely an old world wine. You are absolutely right about that. It is meant to go with food. 
Um, <clears throat> and we'll tell you the name. We'll tell you what the wine is. The wine okay, is okay. actually Finca Ventura Monastral. Uh, it's a 2014 Spanish wine from Humila. So this is our first Spanish wine we've done on this podcast. And Can I see the... Absolutely. It has a cute little... Mm-hmm. What? Is that a fox? Yeah. So cute. So Finca um, is a farm in Spanish. Ventura means a fortune. Um, so... Fortune it, Farms. Fortune Farms. Uh, or you know, And that's a loose translation or a very specific one. It may have different implications there. Um, but the, the, the Finca Ventura winery was actually, it's owned by a family uh, that has been in that land, had been farming that land um, for hundreds of years. They think that it was uh, ever since the Romans that that family's been there in Humila. So this is, if you think about the map of Spain, it's down in the, the kind of the, the, the southeast of Spain in the bottom right-hand corner. That's France. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and we need more maps down here. Well, I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> the cool thing about Spain, and, and what a lot of people, I, I didn't realize this, and I've read lots of Asterix comics books, um, is that <laughs> <laughs> is that, that Spain, when you come south out of France, you hit the Pyrenees Mountains, and you go over these mountains, and, and you think that the mountains are going to go down, and they do briefly into a valley, but then there's a massive plateau in the middle of Spain. Spain is basically one huge raised plateau with a bunch of, of small valleys falling away and then dropping down to the coast around it. So it's this higher elevation. Okay. So you get down into the southeast area there in Humila. It's actually, a, um, it's actually a series of wide valleys leading up to this plateau coming from down on the coast. And they've been growing grapes there ever since in the In the Romans. wide valleys or on the plateau? Uh, in the wide valleys and heading up the mountain. So I, I okay. guess the average elevation there that they grow grapes is somewhere between 400 and 800 meters. Uh, meters, what, three and a half feet? So 1,200 to, to 1,800 feet or so. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's a relatively high elevation to be growing grapes in. Um, but it gives them better control. There's different soils there. The cool thing is, is that this family has been growing these grapes for a million billion years and selling them generally to France. And it wasn't until... Um, uh, when Phloxra hit France in the 18 Pazafaches, that <laughs> that a bunch of French went down to there and started using these grapes to their fullest extent. And they started using the grapes so much um, that they never, even though Phloxera was busy wiping out all the other grapevines in France and in Germany and in Italy, um, they were all busy. They didn't have time to replant in Spain because that was the only place that Phloxera hadn't struck. So it wasn't until 1989 that phylloxera finally hit a hundred years later after it hit the rest oh. of the continent. That Humila was finally hit with phylloxera, and they had to replant. So they, oh. there was a massive decline in production for about five years there in, in the early nineties, and they're only recently recovered from that because they, they finally had to re- regraft and replant. So this wine that we're drinking, this Monastral, is actually made with it says old vines on the label, and that's a really interesting point because what's an old vine if they replanted in the nineties? Right. These are some vines that survived that. Uh-huh. These are vines that are over 40 years old that produce okay. this. Now, what does that mean for a wine? I well, don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Alex, what does that mean for a wine when it's old vines? Well, and are old vines only, like, how old does a vine get? Well, vines can be hundreds and hundreds of years old. Okay. But like most plants, um, what happens is is they um, they stop being so robust in their production. When they're young and they go through, in the first three years, they're just trying to get their roots down and, and grow. Mm-hmm. So they don't actually start making grapes. Grapevines don't start making grapes until about their third or fourth year. And then um, they don't really move into effective production until about five years old. So if you're getting most grapes, or, or most the ideal lifespan to use a grapevine is somewhere between five and 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of places like in California that are worried about the business of wine 
will there start tearing them out at 20 years and start replanting them. They have like a 20 year cycle to replant vines. So to have old vines, vines that are over 20 years old, the production goes down. You get less grapes per acre at that point, but the grapes you get are far more intense. Okay. So with an old vines, you're getting grapes that are matured. They're, they're more intense that the plant is laboring harder to create. So you end up with a different type of, of grape that creates a different type of wine. Mm-hmm. Monastrol is a varietal, a grape that not many people have heard of too, which is really interesting. And this wine is 100% Monastrol. Other people actually use this grape, but they call it Mouvedre. Oh, okay. So in France, it's Mouvedre, but in Spain, it's Monastrol. Okay. Same grape. And in the southeast of France, they use Mouvedre as kind of a balance for the GSM blends, the Grenache Sorel Mouvedre blends. And mm. we've had them before. We had the, the, the Brennan Leighton Gratitude was a GSM mm-hmm. blend. We've had um, other wines as well that are all that are based on this whole, this French recipe of Grenache, which is light and floral, Syrah, which is jammy and fruity, and Mouvedre, which is savory and umami. Um, and has those, those darker notes and the, mm-hmm. those dried notes. So the, this, to have a wine that's 100% of that savory quality of the Monastrol, the Mouvedre grape, creates this wine that has these dried fruit notes. It has this dark fruit. It has this, these, these, um, these dried flowers, this, uh, this pepper, this savoriness to it. It's a really remarkable wine. Would you, I have a question. Would mm-hmm. you be able to pick this out if you did a blind tasting? Me at this point? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to forget about Monastrol. I tend to look for the main varietals. Um, okay. and so I tend to look for things. I, I, I would probably, if I was guessing what this wine was, I would probably think it was a Syrah from France, which is because I'd probably think it was like, a, a, my brain would take me to the, the, mm-hmm. the South of France to the, to the, to, um, the Southern, um, Rhone area where they use this grape varietal. And I don't know enough to distinguish between Spanish and French at this point, mm-hmm. but I would think it was probably like a like a Syrah heavy, uh, a Mouvedre heavy, heavy um, GSM. Okay, is probably where I'd go with that. So I'm still learning about that. Mm-hmm. But um, so no, it, it's really I, I. But I love it because of that uniqueness to it. So there you go. Well, it does have a savory quality that Syrah that I've had does not have. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. I'm just wondering if your palate is tuned to pick that out if you didn't know what it was. Nope, not at the moment. I mean, but that's one of the reasons why we do this, too, because it reminds me that these things are out there. I mean, I go shopping Mm -hmm. in our wine cabinet. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this wine in forever. Right. Um, And and I think it's really fascinating because the the wine does have the dryness. It's missing those other other months, the, the... the, the floral, the nose notes that you would get from Grenache. It's missing the jamminess that you would get from mm-hmm. Syrah, but it definitely has the umami and the pepper that you right. get from the, the Mouvedre, the Monastrol. So I think this is a, a really enjoyable wine, and I really like um, the, the fact that, I mean, it's, it's not overwhelmed with oak. It's not overwhelmed with jam. You know, it's really just very expressive of, I think, where it comes from. So, so I have to, I want to harken back to mm-hmm. when you say 18, right. Okay, because every time you do that now, I think of who are our friends in Jersey. Fat, drunk, and fancy. Fat, drunk, and fancy. I always think of him um, <laughs> sending us that video about uh-huh. the wine t- tasting. And right. he was like, and I smell notes of fusha, fusha. <laughs> and I see colors of 
Ruby and Frisher Frisher. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's give the credit where okay. credit's due on that one. That was Eddie Izzard. I watched his Dress to Kill video. I loved it. And at one point, he's talking about something in history, and he goes, and in 18 post Because I'm like, oh, that's that's a great way of getting around that, because nobody really cares about the dates for the most part. And if they do, they can go look them up. Right. But yeah, no, in in, in the 1800s, and 1860, whatever. Um, so, yeah. But, who's but you do it really well, and he apes you really well, so... Thank you, Eddie Izzard, but yeah. mm-hmm. thank you, Fat, Drunk, and Fancy, because yeah. it's, it's super funny. fun. That was a great call out. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so that's it. That's the wine for the day. The Finca Ventura Monastral 2014 for Humila, Spain. Uh, this is a, a great wine. I absolutely recommend getting a bottle of it and trying it, especially with a meal. Um, I think it would go fantastic with barbecue. I think it would go great with uh, with more cheeses. Heck, it can go great with a hamburger. Um, it would be so good with a hamburger. Yeah, this is a, a really good bottle of wine. What's so, that new hamburger I tried at Red Robin? I don't know. It's like every time I'm bringing up Red Robin. I do, don't know what hamburger you had at that, Red Robin. It's the vegan burger, the new vegan burger. What was it called? It has a weird name. Oh, the no meat burger that's now sweeping the nation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't So remember. good. Good. Well, then... Like, you can have your vegan burger and a glass of wine, but you get that new mommy flavor. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I said it. Did I say it wrong? New mommy? Well, it's umami, not new mommy. Oh. Um, it's like, <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to our new mommy group. All right, did you bring your toddler? No, this is an umami group. Let's hear your birth story. We cook savory foods here, not children. Here's a therapist name in case you had a C-section. So it's been something to drink about. <laughs> and I'm Christy. <laughs> right? You can check us out on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. We've got a web page out there too. You can find us on Buzzsprout. Um, you know, it, it's we've got twenty some odd episodes out there. If you like what we're doing, give us a text, give us a shout out, uh, find us on Facebook, let us know. If you want to see us do something different, give us a holler. Uh, this is a five lot star of fun. rating. Wouldn't and be bad either. So thank you very much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this has been something to drink about. I'm Alex Van Hamburg, and I'm Christy Collins. Cheers.